morning, I want to invite you to turn to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. That's where we have been. And uh, you know now that 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is probably uh, the greatest, uh, well, really the 2 Corinthians is probably the greatest book in the Bible on, on the aspect of ministry. And that's what really we're trying to learn. I'm trying to get some of you up to speed that you can really uh, take a, uh, even a more active part than many of you already have of, of working with people. And uh, so far, as we come through chapter 4, which is the chapter on, uh, the, on really the personal side of ministry, uh, so far in this great chapter, we have seen the two great concepts about ministry. First concept was how not to do the ministry. And uh, the second concept was then what was the right way to do the ministry. You remember that there was three things that we were told that uh, were not to do when it comes to the ministry. And uh, the first one was the hidden things of dishonesty. Second one was walking in craftiness. And the third one was handling the Word of God uh, deceitfully. We spent a lot of time showing you how that, unfortunately, in the world that we live in today, this is where most churches are at, where most pastors are at. And then we, we, we saw how a ministry, what it should be biblically. Two aspects, and tremendous aspects. And we, we spent some time with this. And we, we put our, put, we, what we did is we put our own church to this test looked at our own ministry under the microscope. I mean, you know, I'm not preaching about other churches or other places. I'm talking to us about what we should be. And we talked about how that a real ministry ought to be two things. He said, by manifestation of truth. And then, of course, and commending ourselves to every man's conscience. And that's really uh, what a church should be, open and transparent about whatever it does, whatever's taking place, uh, there's many churches, if you ask the wrong question, you'll wind up uh, behind the eight ball, not here. You know what, you have a right to ask whatever you want to ask, and uh, we'll give you the answers based on uh, the truth of what we're doing and where the Word of God is, and that's just where it's at. You remember this chapter deals with, these, as I said, the personal side of our ministry and being accountable uh, uh, to it. And today we're going to see yet another principle in ministry, and I think this is really an unvital, a vital deal. I know there's many of you right now as we speak that are working with people. And as people come in and they need to be discipled or they have personal problems in their life or marital issues or with their children, whatever, uh, you know, we take that opportunity. You know, talking about uh, the, the dear lady, Patty, Patty, who just, uh, uh, you know, uh, got out of the hospital. Now, there's a ministry opportunity right there to go teach her the Bible and take what you know and, you know, in a very uh, structured way, give her the Word of God and help her through it. But uh, today you're going to learn uh, why uh, I think is probably the single greatest fundamental thing you've got to know and understand and always keep before you. And today is going to help a lot of you who are, 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 are dealing with people. And I want to talk to you today out of this chapter uh, simply why uh, so many people simply don't make it today. Uh, when you try to help them. You need to know that much of the ministry, and boy, this is certainly true, much, much of the ministry is spending uh, a lot of time with people who simply do not make it. I mean, I wish that everybody would. We have to go after it and approach it like everybody would. But that's, at the end of the day, that's just what we do. You know, we liken the church to a hospital and people come to a hospital who are sick and need care and need help. But you know as well as I do that not everybody makes it out of the hospital. Not everybody gets well. You have terminal cases in hospitals, and believe it or not, you have terminal cases spiritually within churches. 
And, but that's what we do. We spend an enormous amount of time with people who simply after two or three months, maybe four or five months, six or eight months, or maybe even a year, they simply find a better deal and, uh, and they move on. And uh, all the time that you would put into them, if you look at it from a worldly standpoint or look at it from a, you know, a, a, just a life standpoint, you think what a waste of time that is or what it was. But that's never the way that it is. That's what we do. That's what pastors, ministers, and churches are all about, giving people the opportunity to do right even though when they don't do what's right. And this is why it's so vital to learn that great principle that I gave you last week in our third set, but we talked about it in great detail when we went through that chapter in chapter 2, verse 14, where it says, and thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph. That's really where this principle fits. And today I want you to understand why they don't make it. And if you're here this morning and you're somebody maybe trying to claw your way out of your problems in life, it'll be good for you. And uh, I'm not, I didn't intend it for you, but I'm sure that you'll get out of it whether you do with anything or not, I don't know. But my people who are desiring to have a part uh, in ministry and to really do with the Word of God what God wants you to do, this will be some insight for you. And it'll be something that you'll always want to remember, something that you want to keep in mind, because people can be discouraging. Some of you kids out there are, are, are great people, and you're, you're such giving people. And you, I watch you, and you pour yourself into people. You give yourself to people uh, to a great degree. And I know that when you get a little more mature in the things of the Word of God and a little more Bible under your belt, not that you don't have a lot now, but on the practical side of things, you'll learn how to balance it all out. But people uh, that you put a lot of time in, when they, <laughs> when they seemingly, you know, walk out the door and, 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 and literally, as my favorite expression, get a better deal than what had God had for them, it can, if you don't have this principle down, it can throw you for a loop. And I, I've seen many, many Christians in my years who were working with people and, and got discouraged. You know, and, the, and the, the first thing that goes through your mind because you are such good people, you think you did something wrong. You think it's your fault because they didn't make it. And uh, I'm not saying you can't do some stupid things that will, will hurt people, but for the people that are working with me, I, I don't believe that's true. I, I know you well enough to know that where your heart and your intent is and your attitude about it is. And, uh, but because you are good people, that's exactly what happens. You think you failed them. You think you did something wrong. How many times some of you have said, when we talked about so-and-so, you know, that punched out and, you know, back to the world system or whatever. And, and some of you have said, you know what? Uh, I, and I say, what's the matter? And you say, well, I just don't know. Maybe I didn't do everything I could do. Let me tell you something. When you give people the Bible, you're doing everything you can do. You've heard me say it many, many times. People have to take responsibility for their own circumstances, their own actions in life. And this is going to help you today. It really will. And uh, over the years, I followed something very closely. I saw this probably 30 years ago and began to watch it very closely. I call it kind of a goofy name. I call it my keeper ratio. Uh, 25 years ago, uh, I watched things happening in my own ministry, in my own life with people. And I, I come to the conclusion on a general across-the-board basis to keep one person in your church 
10 people had to come through the church. Now, there's times that you'll get two or three people and they'll stay. I mean, it isn't like every 10, all right, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, you guys aren't coming, you're going to stay, you're the 10th one. That's not what I'm talking about. But it averages that way. In other words, what I'm saying is you've got to go through a lot of people who won't do what's right to find one who wants to do what's right. And, and, and some of you know this is true, who've been discipling people. Uh, you've said it to me. You know, you'll get a couple of real uh, uh, goofy uh, discipleship situations where you just got to, it's a struggle and a fight, and then you'll get that one person who just wants to hear everything you got to say, and, you know, and, you, know you feel like you're on Mount Sinai you know, with God. That's the way it works. Well, today, 2012, that was back in the, uh, back in the, in the, uh, in the 80s. Today, in, in this church, in dealing with people in general, I'd say that it's probably closer to 25 or 30 to 1 today. Uh, it's just because times have changed, but they certainly haven't changed for the better. Tonight's our mission tonight, and you're, you're going to go, many of you are going to go down to the mission, and you guys will do your thing down there. Uh, I started going down to the mission in 1977, and I've been down there a long time. When I went down in 1977, to show you my point, the average age uh, of the men down there in that mission was probably uh, in their 50s or in their 60s. Now, tonight you'll see that the average age down there is probably 18 to 25. This is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about. And I don't think, in talking to God's people, you know, I don't think I've ever seen a time when, uh, of a more dysfunctional group of people than God's people today, uh, in Christianity in general. I mean, here they are. They have the power of God. They have the Holy Spirit. They have the Word of God. They have everything in their life, and they can get nowhere with God. And we're going to talk a lot about why that is today, and it'll help you. Unsaved people. Unsaved people today can be very hard to reach. Uh, you need to understand to be successful the process of really reaching them today, you know, how to make it work. And even then, it can be, it can be tough because people are who they are. And, uh, you know... I, I think personally, the number one problem today with people saved or lost is they, they have a zero attention span to what's being said about God. And I'll tell you why that is. There's just too many things out there in the world that run competition with God. And God's people and unsaved people have basically zero attention span. I've had people, after I preached my heart out and preached my lungs out in a message, I've had people come up to me and said, man, that was great. You really laid that thing out. That is exactly what I needed. And I'm looking at them, and I'm thinking to myself, did you not hear a thing that I said? You're doing exactly in your life what I just preached on. And yet, they have an attention span that they just do not grasp and get and see uh, what, is, what they need to see. And this is part of the problem. And we're going to talk today about we're going to talk today about why people don't make it based on this passage. Now, as I said, the, those of you who are here today who desire to have a part of this New Testament local church ministry, this is going to be a great help to you. This will be a few more pieces to the puzzle of how you put it all together. You remember a couple of months ago, I laid out out of chapter 2, verse 11, a great verse. It said, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. And I told you then, that that's what the devil wants to do. The devil always wants to have the advantage over you, whether you're saved or whether you're lost. That's what he wants to do. And the problem is, the reason why he does, whether you're saved or you're lost, is because you're ignorant of the fact of the what he's doing to you and how he's doing it. 
and you fall right into it. And we talked about that day, how the devil does what he does, and, and uh, we'll see it from a more personal aspect, a more, I guess, ministry-orientated aspect today. Now, I want to read chapter 4, and this is where we're going to start today, picking it up in verse 3. And here's what he says. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Now, Father, we thank you and praise you for uh, today. We ask you to take the Word of God and open our hearts. We thank you for those that are here today and your blessings upon our time in your Word. And take this, Lord, and use it in my life first and then filter it down to the lives of your people in all that we do. We love you. We thank you now and praise you for all you're going to do. In Jesus' name, for a sake we ask it. Amen. Now, I want to look at verse 6 here draw your attention to that, because that's really uh, going to be a key thing in what we're talking about today. But it says this in verse 6, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now that verse is, is really uh, our theme for the, our study today, and that verse opens up this great study that we're going to talk about. But what it does, it begins to lay out for you the study in the Bible of two great lights. I don't know if you know it or not, but when he said there in chapter 4, verse 6, about God commanding the light to shine out of darkness, that's a reference to Genesis chapter 1. I don't even know if you know that. In Genesis chapter 1, in the first five verses, is what he's referring back to where he said, you know, it's very familiar. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth without form and void, and darkness upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And then here's what he said, and God said, let there be light. And God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. This is what he's making a reference to in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, when he says, God commanded the light to shine out of darkness. Now, when you read that verse down there, one of the interesting things that you see is you know that both day and night are both capitalized. And over the years, a lot of people have asked me why that is, because uh, as it stands there, it, it really shouldn't be an English punctuation. And of course, the reason why that it is, is because this day and night here is not talking about day and night or light and darkness. It's not talking about the day and night that we understand here. Uh, I, I always get a laugh out of the commentaries on Genesis that I read, and when a writer begins to write on this passage, he talks about this being the first day and night and sunlight, and yet that's impossible because this is the first day of creation. The sun's not even created until four days later. There is no sun here. And the reason why this is called day and night, and they're capitalized, and one's called the light and one's called the darkness, and the reason why they're capitalized is because we're talking about two personalities here. We're talking about two men whom the whole Bible is going to be built around. One of them is the Lord Jesus Christ, and the other one is the devil himself. And the Lord represents the light, and the devil represents the darkness. That's why the, the, the day is, is capitalized. 
Jesus is called the day star, stars that shine. And the night, uh, or the uh, night is capitalized uh, because of the fact that uh, night is the darkness and it represents the devil. And uh, we, we saw it all the way through here. And in fact, when Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, he brings it into a practical application uh, you and I can look at it. Look at that verse over there, 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 4 and 5. Here's what he says. But ye brethren, talking to saved people, are not in darkness, that that day, you see it, should not overtake you as a thief. Now here he comes, verse 5. Ye are all children of the light, and children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Now, he's not talking about people who, who work at night. There's first people who work during the day. You know, don't go out of here thinking if you work the night shift, you're in trouble with God. That's not what he's talking about. He's showing you the two families that are on this planet, spiritually speaking. God's family is the children of the day, the light, the light of God. The devil's crowd, John chapter 8, verse 44, ye are your father the devil, and the lust of your father as you will do. That is the darkness or the night, saved and lost people. So now follow me now. Follow me now. The light is Christ. The darkness is the devil. But 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 15 says, and no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Now, you see that? And you want to see that. The devil's darkness, he's night. In fact, the Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 19, it says, and this is the condemnation. Now, you want to know, if you're here this morning and, and you're unsaved, you want to know what the condemnation is you, against you is? Very simple verse, a great verse. Verse 19. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. You know, most crimes are committed at night. You know, it's nighttime when we're always thinking about the great party times and the great sin times and uh, everything that goes on. Why? Because of that verse right there. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And the condemnation against man or the condemnation of man is rejecting the light of God. And that's what we want to talk about today. But before we get to that, I want you, I want you to see that Satan transforms himself into an angel of light. And this is, this is an amazing thing. Satan, we already know, was the great imitator of God. He imitates light. Uh, with a false light that the Bible we've already studied blinds people. And, you know, every, the devil imitates everything about Christ. If you would get a compass, and uh, your compass always points toward north, and if you know anything about the Bible at all, you know that the Bible says in places like, I think, Psalm 76 and other places where it talks about heaven where God is being north. And when God fixed the thing in the physical world, he fixed the physical world that, that every, every compass that you ever got pointed the arrow to where God was. But yet, in reality, we know that uh, Satan imitates God. So there's two norths. When you are a, some kind of navigation person and you're navigating around, you're going to find that there is a magnetic north and there's a true north. And magnetic north is in the general direction of north, just a couple of degrees off. But it's not true north. 
True North is based on the pole star. Magnetic North is based on the magnetic pole of our, of our and, and if you know anything about the, uh, how it all set up, you know that we're, we're not exactly lined up the way we should be. We don't have time to get into that all this morning. But my point is this. Magnetic North will get you north, but it'll get you three or four degrees off north. Now, three to four degrees may not sound much, but when you put three to four degrees to a trip of, of 100,000 miles, I mean, that's a big error. In other words, the devil always represents the false light, and the false light will always look close, maybe just be two or three degrees off the true light, but that two or three degrees is enough to send you to hell. That's what the thing, that's the, that's the picture of the how he imitates. Now, you've heard me give you the great verse in Romans chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, that says uh, uh, that the invisible things of him from the creation are clearly seen and understood by the things that God made. In other words, you've heard me say it many times that all of the physical things that God created or some kind of picture of spiritual thing. That little example I gave you of true north and magnetic north is an example of that. Everything that God did, and that's why you find in the Bible, God talks about trees. He talks about animals. He talks about certain kinds of animals. That's why we know when he talks about a dove, it's a picture of the Holy Spirit of God. When he talks about a, a raven or a, 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 a vulture or a buzzard or an owl, it's a type of, 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 of the devil or the devil's crowd. And all of those things mean something. And what you have here is God represents the light, the devil represents the darkness or the night. And yet the Bible says that Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. And what we're going to look at for just a few moments so we understand what we're dealing with here is one of the greatest things that you'll ever, ever, ever come across in the Bible. The light that the devil puts out. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 22 and 23. I found this verse many years ago, and it absolutely, I had to sit down when I saw it. It's one of those things that when you, when you, one of those things, one of those great pieces of my puzzles. And when I actually saw it, I had to just sit down for a minute and comprehend it. But Matthew chapter 6, verse 22 and 23 says this, the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. <laughs> But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. Now watch this. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness. Now how can you have a light that is darkness? How in the world can you have a light that is darkness? You know what? Before you got saved, when you wanted to have your wild parties and do all the things that you did, and you wanted to have some light, but you didn't want to have enough light that took the mood off of the thing, uh, you know what kind of light you got? You got a black light. And a black light is a light that emits light, but it really doesn't emit light. It emits a black light. Now, in the science around us today, and uh, science have come up with in the last 20 or 30 years, have made some great strides. And what they have discovered out there, and, and they talk about all the time, is what the Bible talks about here, is some kind of light that gives off, uh, some kind of light that gives off darkness. And we know them in the scientific world as black hole stars. And most of you probably are not scientific savvy enough, though you maybe have heard the term, but let me tell you what a black hole star is. A black hole star is a star out there that it is so, the gravity of it is so strong the gravity of it is absolutely so intense that it pulls everything inward. It, now, this is a star. 
And you see the stars out at night, twinkle, twinkle, little star, you know, some are bright on the other. A black hole star is a star, but the gravity of that star is so intense that it sucks everything internally, including the light. And that sucking in of that light produces a heat that is absolutely unbelievable. Gravity has always been something, you know, and I think of everything in a Bible sense. Gravity has always been a, a, a weird thing for me. I don't know if you know that inside this earth, scientists have deduced in the last four or five years that they say now that there's a sphere within the earth about 3,000 miles. Hello, like we didn't know that if you know anything about your Bible, because the Bible said that's where hell is. And they talk about a place that, that, uh, uh, that is completely like being in outer space. If you went up in outer space and you lost the earth and couldn't see the earth, you wouldn't know where up is, down is, left or right. None of that would matter anymore. And you'd be weightless. You know that the only other place that is like that is inside the earth. And if you could get inside the core of the earth right now, there's no up, there's no down. It's outer darkness and you're weightless. And yet the scientists tell us that there's an absolutely intense heat. It always bothered me that something called gravity is is continually trying to pull us down somewhere. You know, years ago, when somebody died, you know what they, they used to say? They used, didn't say, well, he died and he was buried. They used to say, he went under. And that's why we got the term of a mortician. We don't call them that anymore, but back then they used to call them undertakers. You see, right now, your soul's in your body. And what happens is when you die, your body goes back to the... But what is real about you, then the force of gravity takes over. And what has been trying to pull your soul down and keep it captive finally gets this opportunity if you're lost. And that gravity pulls you down and then you're in a place, an absolute place where gravity controls you and you're in a place of outer darkness and you're in a place called hell and the Bible says that that's exactly the process that happened. Now, I want you to see this, these black hole stars. I want you to understand this thing about, about heat. Bible says in, in Revelation, chapter, uh, uh, Revelation chapter 1 verse 9, it says, I saw a star fall from heaven and unto him was given the keys to the bottom of this pit. In the Bible, angels are likened to stars. So when we take that Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, the Bible talks about how the, the innumerable number of the angels. He said to Abraham, someday your seed's going to be like the stars of heaven. So in the Bible, angels are likened to stars. So when you go out there and you see that starry night and you see all those stars out there, their pictures are represent uh, the angels that God has created that he talks about in the Bible. But we also know that some of those angels left God's presence, didn't they? And they went with Satan way back in Genesis chapter 1. And those stars are the stars of darkness. So those stars are represented by the black hole stars, the stars that give off a light, but it's a black light and you can't see it. Jude chapter 6, or Jude verse 6, only one chapter in Jude. Jude, Jude chapter 1 verse 6 said, And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation. These are the ones that left with Satan. He hath reserved, watch it, 
everlasting change under darkness, under the judgment of the great day. And then he says down a little bit farther in verse 13, talking about the same angels, raging waves out of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now there's angels who are stars. Star gives off light, but these angels don't give off light. They're black light. And a black light is now we understand that the, uh, what, what hell is. You know, one of the things I talked to you about Thursday night when we were talking about hell is that I was going to tell you how that you can have a place called hell that has fire, but yet the Bible says it's outer darkness. Well, if you got outer darkness and you have fire, then you have light. This is the reason why you can have the intense heat and you can have the intense fire, but it's a black heat and it's a black light and it's devoid of any light and it's the gravity that sucks you in and holds you there and the fact that it's such intense heat. You can't ever get out. It's such intense heat that it devoids itself of light. And you, know, you have the outer darkness and you have the fire but it's that supernatural fire that is represented by the black hole. And that's why the Bible says that the devil represents darkness, but he manifests himself as an angel of light, and it's a false light. This is my point, a false light that blinds men and women. Now, look at verse 4. Uh, back to 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry. It says, In whom the God of this world hath blinded, now, here's what I want you to see. It's not a blinding of your eyes. You still see fine. But this blindness of this world, it doesn't blind your eyes, but rather it says that it blinds the minds of them that believe not. So this light that's a false light, that's a black light, that does not give off true light that Satan manifests himself into, it doesn't blind your eyes. It blinds your mind. And we're going to see how important that is as we come on down through here. Now, down through church history, you know there's been different battles that have to be fought, spiritual battles, doctrinal battles. They fought a battle over the deity of Christ, the virgin birth, you know, eternal security, all that stuff. But there's one battle that has raged down through every period of church history, and it rages today. And it is the battle for your mind. And this is, the, this, is, this is why I put such an emphasis on you parents with your children. I don't know if you know it or not, but uh, every parent ought to be absolutely familiar with Daniel chapter 1. Every parent ought to have Daniel chapter 1 outlined, detailed out in their Bibles and have it in their heart and in their mind because it shows you the actual battle that your children are going through every day of their life. And there's a battle for their mind. I don't know how many times I've, I've, I've seen uh, situations where uh, it lines up to this so great. I mean, these kids, Daniel and the boys, were taken from their homeland, put in there, and the Bible says that uh, Nebuchadnezzar, now Nebuchadnezzar is a picture of the world system. He's a type of the devil. And they try to change everything about that child. And it's the exact picture of what the devil is trying to do or will do with your child. And the Bible says that the first thing they did is they gave them a daily portion of the king's meat. That's a picture of what your child gets every time they go to school, every time they hang out with their unsafe friends or they're around people. You're not going to stop it. When they go to school, when they get into somebody else's domain and world, the devil says, I've got a portion served up for you. Here it is. One of the other things he did is he changed their names. 
When you go back and look at those three Hebrew children, their names that God gave them all represented something with God. But when the devil changed their name, it all represents something to do with the false gods. And that's what the devil wants to do. He wants to change your child's name. He wants to change your name. He wants to get you to be something you're not. I don't know how many times parents have called me on the phone over the years and said, my kid has lost his mind. And I always, I don't say this, I try to help them, but you know what I think inside? I said, no, no, you, your kid, your child hasn't lost your, his mind. You just lost the battle for your child's mind. That's what happened. And there are some things parents ought to be doing. There are some things parents ought to be doing to ensure that your children don't lose that battle over their mind. What they see, what they listen to, and what they're taught. You have to have a counter to that based on the Word of God. You've got you to counter that daily portion. You've got to counter the changing of their names. That's why you have a sweet little gal and she's 9 or 10 or 12 years old and, you know, and, and she's a nice gal and all suddenly she goes to school someplace and then she comes home and now she's, dressed, she's 13, 14 years old and your, your mom or dad lets her dress like she's 20. She starts wearing makeup. She starts wearing the short skirt. She starts wearing the this, that. And I know that kids like to do some of that stuff, and I'm saying, but when you take a 14-year-old girl and let her dress like a 20-year-old girl, that girl has changed who she is. And that's your fault. That's not her fault. This is what I'm talking about. The devil blinds us. Now, when he says the God of this world, That's not talking about, very important, that's not talking about the physical world as we know it with the trees and the birds and all that stuff, but rather the world system in which everything in every way goes against God and His Word. And there, my friend, is the battle. It is. What you think and what I think versus what God's Word says and what God thinks. It's the mind of God versus the mind of this world. And this is why the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, good advice for you and me where it says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought through the obedience of Christ. Now, you want to, a lot of God's people have revenge. They're very revengeful people. They say they're saved, but they like to get revenge on people. Now, every Christian ought to be a revengeful person. In other words, revenge for a child of God is something you ought to have in your life every day of your life, but not the way you're thinking or the way you use it because the next verse shows you how to use that revenge. And having in a readiness to revenge, here it comes. You want to get revenge on somebody? Here it is. And having a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Revenge on yourself, but on yourself, on your mind, on the imagination on the things we think. This is why the Bible says in Philippians 2, 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, that we have the mind of Christ. This is why the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1, that we are to arm, arm like get a gun, get a knife, get a club, arm ourselves with this same mind, and of course, the mind of Christ. You know, you see this exact same problem with the nation of Israel right before uh, they went into their final captivity and their destruction. Look back at Ezekiel chapter 8, and this is a good passage to mark in your Bible down the line, and you'll work with people with this who have problems with thoughts or imaginations or the battle for the mind, because that's where the battle is. 
It starts with you and then works right down to your kids. And Satan blinds us. And he brought me to the, Ezekiel chapter 8, verse 7, and he brought me to the door of the court. And when I looked, and behold, a hole in the wall, then said he unto me, Son of man, dig now in the wall. And when I had digged in the wall, behold, a door. And he said unto me, Go in, and behold, the wicked abomination that they do here. So I went and saw, and behold, every form of creeping things, an abominable beast, and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed uh, upon the wall round about. Watch it. And there stood before them 70 men of the ancients of the house of Israel, and in the midst of them uh, Jazaniah, the son of Shephan, with every man his censer in his hand, and a thick cloud of incense went up. Verse 12, Then said he unto me, Son of man, hast thou seen what the ancients of the house of Israel do in the dark? Every man in the chambers of his imagery for they say, the Lord seeth us not, the Lord hath forsaken the earth. That's us, right there. The images, that's your mind. That's our mind. <clears throat> and come on, we all know the bottom line truth. We'd all take our mind places we'd never take our body. And that's exactly what he's talking about. That was Israel's downfall because Israel lost the battle for their mind. And you want to know why people fail in a fundamental aspect of it is they lose this battle. And boy, if that isn't us right there, we live our life. I love the last part of verse 12. Every man in the chamber of his imagery, for they say, the Lord seeth us not, the Lord hath forsaken the earth. We, as God's people, live our lives. Don't kid me, brother, me included. We live our lives, and we really think God doesn't see what we're doing. Now, let me say this to you. This is why you ought to be around like-minded people. When you get around people who have the same mind of Christ that you have, that old iron sharpeneth iron concept. Now, light in the Bible is defined as God's truth, will be the Word of God. Psalms 119, verse 130 says that the entrance of thy word giveth light. Psalms 119, 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 9, that, the, that, that he was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. John chapter 1, verse 5 says, And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Light in the Bible is God's word. It's God's truth. And what the devil does is he imitates that light, that truth, with a false light. And he does it two ways. The first way he does it is religion. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 talks about spiritual wickedness in high places. The second way that he does it is found in verse 4, what we're looking at right now, and that's through the world system. And that's what you got. You know, when you begin to work with people, when you begin to deal with people and their issues, this is what you're up against and what you're trying to work through in their lives. We have a message that we're trying to get out. As ministers of life and light, we have a message. That message is found in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. And it, 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 it's, the, it's the answer to the condemnation that we saw uh, that's against man. He says, this then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. There it is. There's the difference right there. Light versus darkness. And the devil imitates that light. He transforms himself into an angel of light to deceive and to blind the minds. And that's what happens. 
And that's, you've, that's what you're up against. That's what you've got to deal with. The God of this world and his false light or the real God of this world uh, with a true light. And this is why Titus chapter 3 verse 5 and this is what, you know, some of the things you're going to have to understand that you've got to do. It talks about renewing the mind by washing every generation of the Holy Ghost. Romans 12, 2 talks about having been transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. Now, when you start to deal with people, I said all of that to say this. Now, I've given you a basis of showing you how this thing works, what the problem is, what the devil's doing on a more personal, practical level. But when you start to work with people, this is what you're up against. If you're here today and you're struggling in your life, between the world and God, I love you to death. But kids, this is what you're up against right here. And the first thing you've got to understand in dealing with people, or if you're here today, the first thing you've got to understand about where you're at, if you're going to take any steps to get past this battle, is simply this. You cannot, and this is a great counseling principle, you cannot solve the problems that you have or people have with the same kind of thinking that caused those problems. You have to change the pattern of your thought. You have to look at things differently. You have to change the thinking process of your mind because that's what the devil went after. That is the battle that you lost. And until you start there, and if you're working with somebody, if, you, if they cannot change the thinking patterns and the process, they're not going anywhere because you cannot solve the problems in your life or my life with the same thinking that caused those problems. Now, in this passage here, he's talking about men rejecting the gospel, unsaved people. But also in the Bible and life's application of it, you'll find that there's really two aspects of this gospel. And this is where I want to talk to you about today. Two aspects of this gospel that men reject. The gospel means good news. And if you're looking at it and you know anything about it and you can read the Word, you know and you've heard me say it many, many times that God has saved you for a purpose. And yet we got the word gospel, the word good news. You realize you can't spell the word gospel without the word go because God wants you to go. You realize that you can't spell the word God without the word go. Years ago, uh, Madeline Myrtle O'Hare, who's now dead, uh, was getting in a debate with Phil Harrington. And Phil Harrington was a, uh, an evangelist way back. They used to call him the chaplain of Bourbon Street. They're both dead now. It's been years ago. And he took on Madeline Mary O'Hare in a bait. It was all over the TV. In fact, it was on the Phil Donahue show live. And they were going back and forth. And, uh, and, and, and they're both sharp minds. But Phil Harrington was talking about her, and she said to him, she says, now why would a guy like you uh, want to waste your time uh, running around the world telling people about God? And uh, Phil Harrington came back, and he said, well, Mar Madeline, he says, you know what? Because God's called me to go. He says, you know what, Madeline? You can't spell gospel without go. You know what, Madeline? You can't spell God without go. She turned it around and said, oh, you're so stupid. Take God and turn around. You got the word dog. In a split second, without even thinking about it, old Phil came back and said, you know what, Marilyn, any way you say it, he's still man's best friend. <laughs> See, you can't spell those words without go. You know why? Because when you get saved, God wants you to go and do something with it. He wants you to go and do something with it. He's called us to go. And when it comes to that gospel, you will view it in two ways. 
And both ways, man will reject saved and lost. Now, we're sitting here this morning, and you're saved, and you say, well, I, 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 I didn't reject the gospel. What has this message got to do with me? I didn't reject the gospel. I got saved. Well, wait a minute before you say that, because there's two aspects of the gospel, and many saved people, many saved people sitting under the sound of my voice today and throughout this city and throughout this country who are saved and on their way to heaven have rejected the gospel in this aspect because there's two aspects. You see, when we talk about the gospel received, we talk about salvation. But you, we don't stop there. Not only the first aspect is the gospel received, but then there's another aspect of the gospel, isn't it? It's the gospel fulfilled. You see, most of God's people have received Christ. They received the gospel. They just never fulfilled the gospel. And in that, they rejected the gospel. I'm not saying they're lost. I'm saying the gospel received. Now, that's salvation. And there's a battle that goes on trying to get saved people, uh, from, people from getting saved. And the devil blinds them. And getting people to see their need for salvation is the thing that you've got to deal with in dealing with people. Let me give you another great principle. And this is generally true. The worse a man is, the worse a man is, the more he can see his need. The more struggles he has in his life, the more down he is, the more his life has come to a crashing train wreck, the easier it is that he can see his need. On the other hand, the better off he is, in many cases, the harder it is for him to see his need. And that's a general rule that you're going to get in with people. Because the things of this world, his possessions... They blind him. He thinks he must be a good guy because look all that he has, you know? I mean, Matthew chapter 19, verse 28, the Bible says that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to go to heaven. And, uh, you know, and it's simple. Uh, the things of this world, your possessions and all you have, the more things you have, the, it's a simple fact, the more it runs competition with the things that God has for you. It's just that simple. Over there in Matthew chapter 19 is another story about the rich young ruler. And he, want, he comes to Christ and he wants to be his disciple. He says, I want to follow you. I want to be with you. I want to do everything that I can do. And the Lord looks at him and he says, hey, that's great. We need all the help we can get. One thing I want you to do, go back and sell everything you've got and get rid of everything you have. And the Bible says the young man went away in sorrow. You know why? Because he had great possessions. You see, the devil blinds us in our minds with what we have. It, and that's why, you, and I say it all the time, and, I, you know, and I'm kidding about it to a certain degree, but it's true. Uh, we, it's, we're all blinded. We go around saying, oh, I love this car. I love that shirt. I love this suit. I love this house. I love this. I love that. And there's people dying and going to hell around us or people that got problems that you know, can't deal with. We don't think ever about loving them. We have tricked our mind off the things we ought to love, and now we're loving inanimate objects. We're loving a car. We're loving a house. We're loving our clothes. We're loving this. Oh, I just love that dress. Oh, I just love that shirt. Oh, I love those shoes. Oh, I love those glasses. Oh, I, I just love everything about it. <laughs> you know, I, we, 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 we fall in love with things that cannot love us back. If that isn't a society that's off the edge, I don't know what is. But see, possessions, the things that we have, it, it blinds us. It blinds us. 
position and possessions in this world will be a mindset that blinds you and me from the light of the gospel. That's why people don't get saved. That's why when you start dealing with people that we deal with, we deal with them in a specific way. Now, I don't know the exact story, but I know the people aren't here today, so if you play softball, it's not you. But somebody told me the story last night that uh, we, there's, a, there's been a family coming out, and they're, they're a lost family, wonderful family, nicest family in the world, but they're not saved. Nicest people you could ever meet. I love them to death. And, and, uh, and they, they, they started playing softball, uh, and one of the boys started playing softball. And, you know, and the boys loved it. Mom and dad come, and the dad's playing softball. And, and these people are lost. And I guarantee you, if we'd have met them at the mall someplace or met them at a party, and you'd have tried to give them a track, and you'd try to whiz them, they'd have shut you down so fast you wouldn't know what happened. You know why? Because they got, they're blinded by everything. And they think they're just fine. They have no idea they're lost. I've watched them sit there through the, uh, the, the, the family sit there through your devotions and they, they smile and they say they like it, they enjoy it. And if, they, if the rapture took right now, they'd be the last ones on the ball field. They're blinded to it. But you know how you do it? You do it exactly like you guys do it. You take them in, you love them. They come to your devotions, they hear the gospel, no pressure. You play them, you have fun with them. Mom and dad see the difference and then I heard last night that, that mom and dad want some of you boys to work with this kid in some things in his life. How it goes. I can predict right now, and I'm not a prophet. I left my sandals at home, and I shaved my beard off this morning, and my robe's at the cleaners. But I'm telling you right now, you get the boy. They see the change. You get the mom. You get the dad. You get the whole family. See, they're blinded. There has to be a process to that. The average Baptist church, they would never think that a softball league would ever do anything to get anybody saved. Because all they think is softball. See, you, you never, I told you before, when I put you in charge of a captain, uh, as a captain, I tell them all the time, I said, I'm putting you in charge. I said, your job, in most leagues, you know, you have a softball team and then you find out how to minister. That's not what we do here. You're here to minister and then you figure out how to play softball. Because that has to be the bottom line. And that's, that's approach you take. Because sometimes blindness, blindness takes some time. It doesn't all happen just like, certainly not today, not today. And it's just being smarter than the problem, you see. And it's the way it works. And then you find that when, uh, where the world won't work and the possessions and the things that you have won't work, then, then the devil blinds you with religion. And this is where he's really good at it. The devil has a Bible. We now know that. The devil has a church. We also know that. The devil has ministers. We know that. The Bible said the devil himself is transformed into an angel of light. I mean, all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, when the devil came to damn mankind for all of the eternity in the world, when he went to Eve, when Adam wasn't there. It wasn't, hey, Eve, let's go out and get drunk. Hey, Eve, it wasn't go out and smoke it high. Hey, Eve, it wasn't do this or do that. It was, yea, hath God said. And then he changed what God said. He blinded her with a light. He blinded her with a light. And now when it comes to religion, false religion, spiritual wickedness in high places, the Bible calls it, we're dealing with another problem with people, which is self-righteousness. Now, you find self-righteousness in the world, but boy, do you find it in false religion. And self-righteousness always comes from the key word that brings it about, and it's the word pride. And I know you have pride in the world. Sure you do. Pride keeps unsaved people from getting saved. I know that. 
But I'm talking about the fact when you start to deal with unsaved people who are religious, you're going to see pride personified and self-righteousness personified. I mean, uh, I've met people, I've seen people defend their faith and defend their church and want to fight over it, and they hadn't been in church in 25 years. I had one guy tell me, I knew it. The guy told me, well, I'll tell you the greatest preacher there is is so-and-so, and and he's the greatest man. He's twice the man you ever are, and he's a great godly man, da-da-da-da-da. And I had to inform the guy that he died 20 years ago. Now, you understand why that is. Pride is the original sin in the Bible. The original sin wasn't Adam and Eve. The original sin went before that when the devil left the presence of God in Genesis 1, 1, 1, 2, which is talked about in the Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel chapter 28. And the original sin of the Bible become the number one sin of man. That's pride. The devil said, I will be like the most high. I will be lifted up and sits on the side of the north. The Bible says by reason of his wisdom and his beauty, he was lifted up. You see, pride blinds you. And again, we see the same thing when it came to the nation of Israel. In Hosea chapter 5, verse 5, it says, And the pride of Israel doth testify to his face. Therefore shall Israel and Ephraim fall in their iniquity. Judah shall also fall uh, with them. You see, pride in the face. Remember how we talked about a couple of weeks ago when Moses was up on a mountain, he came down, and you could see the glory of God in his face? Well, you see one or two, you can see pride in people's face too. Proverbs 6, verse 16, the great verse that lays out the character of the devil, the six things that God hates that make up the character, make up of the devil. You know what the first one is? A proud look because we always wear pride in our face. And that was Israel's problem. The Bible says in Proverbs 16, 18, that pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And of course, we're talking about the devil's fall, but we're talking about the fall of man. We're talking about unsaved people who get into false religions who think that they, uh, that they hey, you know what? You can, you can go along with religion and you can get people to come to church and get involved in church as long as you can tell them that they can do something to go to heaven. Because the moment you tell them they have no control over their destiny spiritually and you've got to put it to the cross what Christ did and your good works don't make it, their pride jumps in and you're in trouble. It's the way it works. I told you a couple of weeks ago, Proverbs 19:21. many devices in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. Religion is one of those devices. The world system is one of those devices. Now, that's the first aspect, and that is the gospel received. And that's basically for unsaved people. Now, let me show you the second aspect, and this is why when you start working with saved people. Now, you know now, have a better understanding why unsaved people have a tough time getting saved. Now I'm going to show you why saved people have a tough time doing right. And this will be the gospel fulfilled. This will be after salvation. Now it's a simple reason. There's a simple reason why saved people who come to this church, or really any church, and want help, and then in time they're gone. Oh, you hear it all. You know, they come in, I want help, I want to do this, my life's a mess, it's a train wreck, you know, and the buses piled in and it's a car wreck, train wreck, plane wreck, the whole nine yards. And after they get going for a while, you know, and and then basically you see that that, uh, it it, it doesn't work anymore. And the fundamental thing, and everybody ought to hear me on this, no matter where you're at today, I'm telling you, this is the absolute fundamental problem right here. The real problem is why God's people don't get get it and stay with it and keep it going is as simple as the fact that they won't separate themselves from the world. 
completely. They will not break with the world completely. The world will blind you. It's the difference between, like the old prospectors, real gold and fool's gold. gold. And you'll find that all that glitters in this world is not gold. The great story of this, and we'll get into this when we get into our counseling principles in the first of the year, and we've heard me say before, is Samson. Samson is a perfect example of a saved man. And he represents a saved woman, too. He's a picture of a saved man. And at the end of his life, because he disobeyed God and everything that God said, and he did it his way, we find the three things. And it's a great sermon in itself, and I'm not going to preach it to you today, but it's a great sermon. The sin in his life did three things. First thing it did is blinded him, see? And the devil blinds you. After Samson got blinded, you know what the Philistines, who's a type of the world system, you know what they did? Then they binded him. And that's what the world will do. It'll blind you. You'll think it's okay. You'll think it's wonderful. You'll think it's fine. Well, I can still do this, or I can still go here, or I can still do that. And then it blinds you, and the second thing it does, it binds you. And then the third thing it did to him is it grinds you. They tied him up, chained a child of God to a Philistine uh, grinding wheel, and he's made sport of and laughed at as he grinds out food for the godless people who hate God, hate him, and everybody, everything about it. The child of God today. There it is. I mean, I'm telling you. Let me say this to you. If you, if when you start to put your life back together and you want to make the break and you want to do what God wants you to do and you want to, you know you're saved and you want to fulfill the gospel, I'm just telling you. If you don't make the complete total break with the world and the old friends and the places and the things and the music, you are never going to make it. That's the bottom line. That is the bottom line. You are not going to make it. It is a simple principle, Matthew 6, 24. No man can serve two masters. It's just that simple. It's just the way that it works. You know, you see this great example in the book of Judges and Joshua. In Joshua, they get into the land. They, they came out of Egypt, the picture of their salvation in Exodus, and now they go through the 40 years wandering. In the next book, Joshua, they cross into the land, and now they have everything that God wants them to have is right there at their fingertips. And God tells them. He gives them two key phrases that are the key to their success. And it's the exact two key phrases to your success and my success. He tells them two things. Totally obey and utterly destroy. Totally obey what the Word of God says and utterly get everything out of your life that is not pleasing to God. In your songbook, we got a song that goes along with that book. It's called Trust and Obey. For there's no other way than to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. That's it. And in the book of Judges, they can't do it. In the book of Judges, you find them keep going back to the world system one more time. They just got to go back. They cannot make the breaks, and those people keep coming in and dragging them down and destroying them. You know, years ago, I flew into Las Vegas. And you talk about a great example of, of being blinded by the world. I was flying into Las Vegas, and Las Vegas is out in the desert. And we were 100 miles out, and I could see the light glow. When we got 50 miles out, it was so bright, you could, it looked like the sun was coming up. And we were 30 miles out, and he was telling us that, you know, and he, you could hear the wheels going down and the lights come on. I could look out that window, and I saw the most, out there in the darkness, the most spectacular, unbelievable, 
I mean, lights everywhere. I mean, it was flashing and dashing, and it was absolutely an unbelievable event. And when we got into that thing and we, we had come around the south side to come to the airport, I mean, you looked out that window, and it looked like that was the most fun place to be in your life. But you know the truth of that story is that's one of the most sin-ridden and miserable, broken people and live places on this planet. But from the air with all the lights, it looked good. That's what the world does to you. It twinkles and it glitters and it glows and it makes you think, oh, it's so wonderful. But at the end, it destroys your lives. There's people went into those gambling casinos and lost their house, lost their kids, lost, lost the money for their kids' school, lost everything they've had. There's people down there that are drunks and drug addicts. There's people down there that get caught up in all the filth and all the godliness of this world. But from the air, boy, it looks like I can't wait to land because, boy, it's going to be a great place. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. All that glitters is not gold. And the devil blinds you with that. And that's what happened in the book of Judges. In the book of Judges, they go right back to it. They could not make that break. And I, I always look at that as people today. And, you know, when you start to deal with people, you're going to have people who are in a bad relationship or they come out of a bad relationship. And, you know, the first thing they do, they start getting into the Bible, and the first thing they do, the first thing they do, get into another relationship. They'll find some old boyfriend or girlfriend. They'll get on, you know, MySpace or dating.com or you know, dating sluts for Jesus or whatever you want to do and type it in and bang, they, and they get into the, and, and those are the things you got to deal with. No, no, I'm telling you the truth, man. I've dealt with it. You can laugh at it all you want. I'm going to tell you something. You get out of a bad relationship and, and you just get saved, stay out of any relationship till you learn to have the proper relationship first. And I know, I know what happens. I, I've heard it all my life. Well, I'm lonely. See, I'm lonely. I'm by myself. No, you're not. You got the greatest friend now living inside you you could ever have. You're just looking at it from the world system. You're blinded. I had a gal tell me one time, he's my soulmate. No, no. Jesus is your soulmate. That's how you look at it. It's, I, you, you, you look at it completely backwards. Somebody said, he's the man of my dreams. He's the man of my life. Or she's the woman of my life. Or I, I, he's the love of my life. He's the man that I want to spend the rest of my life with. Let me, that ought to be the exact things you say about Jesus Christ first. Build the relationship and then apply it after the one he gives you. Yes, it is right now. In the book of Ruth. The greatest story, ladies, you could ever have. Ruth was a Moabite. Ruth was a, a, a sinner. Boaz was in the line of Christ. He's a type of Christ. And it's a beautiful picture, not only of Christ and me, but it's a picture of the kind of man a woman ought to want and ought to have. And Boaz was a great, a great, a, a great guy. And, and, and it was everything that Ruth wanted. And their marriage and their life, it was absolutely great. But she had to wait. She had to wait. Boaz, the moment she said to Naomi, your God, my God, and all, Boaz just didn't appear. He didn't materialize. She had some things that she had to get through. She had some things she had to learn. And my, I'm telling you, ladies, wait for your Boaz. God will bring him to you. Wait for your Boaz. Do not get messed up marrying one of his kinfolk. Don't marry 
Jerk ass. Wait for Boaz. Don't marry lazy ass. Wait for Boaz. Don't marry dumbass. Wait for Boaz. Don't marry cheap ass. Wait for Boaz. Don't get hung up with his third cousin, drunk ass. Don't marry lion ass. Don't marry <laughs> worthless ass. <laughs> and don't marry broke ass. Wait for your bow ass. Now you can laugh at that, but that's exactly what happens. <laughs> <laughs> if you're not willing to do this, you will never make it. Now look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Honey, why don't you just go, because I can't finish this with you laughing over this. <laughs> this ought to be on every young Christian, male and female, three-by-five cards. In this battle for your mind after you're saved, follow 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. <laughs> Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. All that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It's not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away in the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Boy, you ought to have that on your heart. Love not the world, because there's a God of this world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Look at them. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Did you ever see that when the devil came to attack Eve all the way back? This is nothing new. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, when the devil came to Eve and Eve had that little conversation with him, when Eve saw that fruit of that tree, she said the same thing. She said that food, that tree is good for food, lust of the flesh. She said that fruit of that tree is pleasant to the eyes, lust of the eyes. And she said that fruit of that tree will make one wise, pride of life. And then she ate it. It never changes. Listen, if you're going to make it and you're going to fulfill the gospel in your life after you're saved, then you're going to have to forsake the world. You're going to have to get rid of the old friends, the old lifestyle, the old places, the old habits, and you're going to have to place it with the things of God. And I think that's one of my big gripes about most preachers. Most preachers get up there and they tell you all the things you've got to give up, but they never provide you anything to replace the things you give up with. Amen. And if you're going to tell somebody to give up something, then you better have something to replace it with. Because you just tell get rid of it, it'll never work. Hey, it hardly works when you have something to replace it with. You gotta have some new friends. You gotta have some new places to hang out. You gotta have some new things to replace those things. But if you don't make that break, you ain't going anywhere. And that's why when you start dealing with people, these are the problems you get into. You see the world for what it really is. The tool of the devil to blind you. Now this is why people don't make it. This is why some people will not receive the gospel and they'll stay lost. And then this is why some people will receive the gospel, but they'll never fulfill the gospel. You've been blinded. You know, the devil's plan for you is real simple and it's twofold. If you're unsaved here this morning, 
The devil will blind you to keep you from ever getting saved. Therefore, damn your soul to hell. If by some stroke of grace of God that you do get saved and you do receive the gospel, then the next plan the devil will be was to get you never to fulfill the gospel. Because the devil just plays the odds, and he'll keep your life messed up, he'll keep the old friends in it, he'll keep the old things in your world that'll destroy your life and never let you fulfill it. You know why? Because if he can't get your soul in hell, he's sorry that he lost you, but what he'll do is then he'll just make sure that you never get anybody else in heaven and they all go to hell that you would have reached if you would have fulfilled the gospel. It's pretty, pretty simple. Now, verse 7 says this, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Boy, what a great that verse that is in understanding all of this. Incredible. You see the treasure there that he talks about, this treasure in earthen vessels, that treasure is the light. It's the word of God of verse 6. And we've already looked at how that we are to be ministers of life and light. We know that already. It's the Word of God in us. The epistle that the Bible talks about is read and understood of all men. I think a great verse that goes along with this is Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. A great verse. It says, In whom God would make known what is the riches of, his, of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is. Here comes the mystery. And this is what God wants to make manifest through your life and my life when you fulfill the gospel. Christ in you, the hope of glory. There it is. Now, that's not all. He says down there, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Now, that earthen vessels of our body made out of clay. One of the great studies in the Bible that you ought to take, if you haven't ever taken it, is, is Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah chapter 18 is Jeremiah goes down to the potter's house. And I know historically, and it's talking about the nation of Israel, but inspirationally, it's a picture of you and me. When he goes down to that potter's house, that potter takes a lump of clay and he puts it on that wheel. And that man takes that clay and he begins to mold it and he begins to make it and he begins to make it into a vessel. And that, that potter is God. The piece of clay is you and me. You see, when you get saved, God takes you as a lump of clay and he begins to mold you. He begins to fashion you the way that he wants. And that's why you find in the Bible when it comes down over there in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20 and 21, it talks about that God in a great house has vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. You know, as a child of God, you either let God make you into a vessel of honor or you won't let God make you and you refuse the gospel and reject the gospel and you'll become a vessel of dishonor. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. You know, back in the days of when pirates roamed the seas, especially down in the Caribbean, they would get ships, sink ships, loot ships, take all kinds of jewels and, and all these things. And pirates were always, always afraid that other pirates would steal what they have. So they'd take the precious diamonds and rubies and the emeralds and they'd coat them in mud and it looked like just a ball of mud and then they'd hide them someplace. And many times uh, the, either pirate would get killed or he'd never get back to where it was and three or four hundred years later people walking along the beach and walking along the deal would uncover the cash where they, they put these little mud balls with the diamonds in it and they'd have no idea what they were. I, I got this out of a story I read a number of years ago. A guy had actually picked up a whole bunch of them and they were so perfectly round but by three or four hundred years they had so hardened on it that it just looked like a little rock. And he's taking these things and he's got a whole handful of them and they, and they really hit the water nice. <clears throat> He's throwing them all in there. 
And he happened to <clears throat> drop one at his foot, and he looked down, and the water, salt water had taken it off, and he sees something shiny, picks it up, and smooths it off, and it was an emerald or a diamond or a ruby. I can't remember what it was. And he only had about three left. He had thrown like 40 of them away. <laughs> and I thought to myself when I read that story, boy, that's the way, that's the way God people are. Inside you today, if you're saved, is a treasure, a ruby, a diamond in the rough. And so many of us, just like that guy walking down the beach of the Caribbean, you don't recognize what's inside this clay, and you just throw it away on the sea of life. I'm telling you. Two aspects to the gospel. There's the gospel received, and then there's a gospel fulfilled. And when you start to deal with people and you start to work with people, this is what you're up against. The devil has blinded them that they never find out who they really are and what has for them. You know, Paul said it best in Acts chapter 26, verse 18. I think one of the greatest verses that really speaks to what we're talking about today and really speaks to ministry when he said this. And I can read his frustration and feel his his anxiety because he dealt with many, many people. And it's a picture of our ministry and our mission. And Paul said in Acts 26, 18, that his job and our job was to open their eyes and to turn them from the darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they might receive forgiveness of sins and the inheritance among them which is sanctified by faith, which is in me. And there it is. God saved you for a purpose. And it's one thing to receive the gospel and get saved, but don't stop there. Then you take the gospel that you received and you fulfill it. And the reason why people won't make it that you're going to work with and I've worked with all my life, and maybe, maybe some are sitting here under the sound of my voice this morning, <clears throat> they won't, if they're unsaved, they won't because they're blinded by what they have. They're blinded by what they want. They're blinded by the things of this world, by the God of this world. And then you have others who were caught up in religion that is going to send them straight to hell and their pride is involved and all of the things that go along with it. Then you have others who received the gospel, but now you're not willing to fulfill the gospel. What a shame that is. And you know why you won't? I'll tell you, very simple. And these are the things you learn in dealing with people. It's not complicated. You simply will not do it because you're not willing to make the ties, break the ties with the world. You've still got people Things, things that you're holding on to that will always pull you back and until you decide to totally obey and utterly destroy, you're not going anywhere. Hey, the example's been set for four or 5,000 years now. We've seen it with the nation of Israel. We saw it with Samson. We see it with everybody in any situation who simply does not want to fulfill and do what God wants them to do. You have to come to the place in your life where you leave it. You have to receive the gospel and you have to then fulfill the gospel. Well, let's hold up there and let's have a word of prayer.